are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 283, and we are reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 4, Paragraphs 39-47. to Chapter 4. Three days after the Most Blessed Mary descended from heaven, she manifests herself and speaks in person to the apostles. Christ, our Lord, visits her. Other mysteries until the coming of the Holy Ghost. 39. I again remind those who shall read this history not to be astonished at the hidden sacraments recorded of the Most Blessed Mary therein, nor to hold them unworthy of belief because they have not been until now revealed to the world. For even setting aside the fact that they are worthy and benefiting this great queen, we cannot deny that, though we have until now no written record of her wonderful doings after the ascension of the Lord, yet we must suppose her to have wrought many and exceeding great wonders in her office as teacher, protectress, and mother of the new evangelical church, which was to be introduced into the world under her assistance and supervision. And if the Lord renovated her in all her powers, as was stated, and if he exerted all his omnipotence through her, no favor or blessing, no matter how great, can consistently with the Catholic Church be disputed as pertaining justly to the peerless and singular creature. 40. Mary was three days in heaven enjoying the beatific vision, as I said in the first chapter, and she came back from her heavenly seat on the day which corresponds to the Sunday after the day of the Ascension, called in the Holy Church the Sunday within the octave of the feast. She remained in the cenacle three succeeding days, enjoying the after-effects of the beatific vision. During this time, the heavenly splendors which still clothed her were tempered, and only the evangelist, St. John, had full knowledge of the mystery, for it was not opportune that it should become known to the rest of the apostles at that time, because they were scarcely as yet capable of such sacraments. Although she remained in their company, it was necessary that her glory should be hidden from them. For even the evangelist, though he was especially strengthened by grace for the privilege of looking upon her, with that veil withdrawn, fell prostrate upon the ground as soon as he came into her presence. Nor, on the other hand, was it befitting that the Lord should suddenly deprive our great queen of the refulgence and the other exterior and interior effects of her admission, into the glory of his throne. He ordained in his infinite wisdom that the effects of those divine gifts and favors diminish by degrees, 
and that her virginal body returned gradually to the more common visible state for conversing with the apostles and the rest of the faithful of the Holy Church. 41. I have also said above that the miracle of Mary's admission into heaven does not conflict with what is written in the Acts of the Apostles, though we, though we there read that the apostles and the holy women persevered unanimously in prayer with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren after the Lord had ascended into heaven. Acts one fourteen. What I have said evidently agrees with this passage, for St. Luke writes his history according to what he and the apostles saw in the cenacle of Jerusalem, and irrespective of the mystery of which they were ignorant. The sacred body of Mary was in two places at the same time. Although the attention of the use of the senses and faculties was more perfect and real in heaven, nevertheless it could be truly said that she was in the company of the apostles, and that she was seen by all. Moreover, it was true that the most blessed Mary persevered with them in prayer, for she saw them from her place in heaven, and there she united her prayers and petitions with those of all the holy refugees of the Seneca. She presented them to her divine son, at whose right hand she was seated, and obtained from them perseverance and many other great favors of the Most High. 42. The three days in which the great lady enjoyed the after-effects of glory, and while the redundance of its splendor gradually lessened, she spent in most ardent and divine sentiments of love, gratitude, and ineffable humility, beyond all the terms or words which I can find for manifesting what I have been made to understand of the sacrament, for they fall short of the truth. The angels and seraphim who attended upon her conferred a new wonder with each other on these miracles, and they discussed among themselves, which was the greatest miracle, that the Most High should raise a mere creature to such favors and greatness, or that anyone, after having been raised to such heights of grace and glory, should abase herself beneath the lowest of creation, and deem herself the most insignificant of all that is created. I perceived that the highest seraphim stood, as it were, with bated breath, at beholding the doings of their queen. Speaking to each other, they said, If the demons before their fall had been privileged to behold this example of humility, it would have been impossible for them to yield to their pride. This, our great lady, is she, who, without any defect, without any deficiency, not only in part, but in all plenitude, has filled up the vast voidness of humility in all creatures. She alone has worthily conceived the majesty and supereminent greatness of the Creator, and the littleness of all creation. She is the one that knows when and how he must be obeyed and reverenced, and she faithfully acts out her knowledge. Is it possible that among the thorns sown by sin among the children of Adam, the earth should produce such a pure lily? emitting such fragrance for the delight of the Creator and for mortals? Canticle 2.2 And that from the desert of the world, void of grace and full of earthliness, such a heavenly creature, affluent with the delights of the Almighty, should arise. Canticle 8.5 Let him be eternally praised in his wisdom and goodness, who formed such a creature, so wonderfully appointed for our emulation and holiness, and for an example and for the glory of the humankind. And thou, blessed among women, distinguished and chosen among all creatures, be thou congratulated, known and praised by all generations. Luke one forty eight. Mayest thou enjoy for all eternity the excellence given to thee by thy Son and Creator. 
may he find his pleasure and complacence in thee, or, on account of the beauty of thy works and gifts, may in thee be satiated his immense charity for the justification of all men. Thou, for all of them dost render him satisfaction, and looking upon thee, he shall not repent of having called into existence ungrateful man. If they grieve and irritate him, thou appeasest him, and turnest him to mercy and kindness. We do not wonder that he should favor men so much, since thou, our lady and queen, livest among them, and callest them thy people. 43. With these praises and many other hymns, the holy angels celebrated the humility and the works of the most blessed Mary, after she descended from heaven. And to some of these praises, she herself joined her responses. After dismissing the host of the angels who had accompanied her from heaven, and after having remained in seclusion, still filled with the splendors of heaven perceived only by St. John, she knew that it was time to deal and converse with the faithful. She therefore left her retirement and, like a loving mother, began to hold tender intercourse with the apostles and disciples. With them, she offered tearful prayers to the Divine Son, including them and all who in future ages were to receive the grace of the Holy Catholic faith. From that day also, as long as she lived upon earth, she asked the Lord to hasten the times when the feasts of the sacred mysteries should be celebrated on earth in the same way as she knew they would be celebrated in heaven. She also asked the Lord to send men of exalted and distinguished holiness for the conversion of sinners, having at the same time a foreknowledge of their sending. In these prayers, her burning charity for men rose to such a pitch that according to the natural course it would have destroyed her life. In order to sustain her and moderate the forces of these desires, her divine son frequently sent one of the highest seraphim, who should answer her and promise her the fulfillment of her desires and petitions, at the same time revealing to her in what order the divine providence would arrange all this for the greater advantage of mortals. 44. By the abstractive vision of the divinity which, as I have said, she continued to enjoy the conflagration of love, which swept through that purest and chastest of hearts, became so ineffable that beyond all comparison it exceeded that of the most love-inflamed seraphim next to the throne of the Godhead. If at times she permitted these flames of divine love to abate somewhat, it was in order to contemplate the humanity of her most holy Son. For no other image of visible things was ever allowed to take up her interior faculties, except when she actually employed her senses in dealing with creatures. At the consciousness and memory of her absent son, she felt some natural tenderness. But this was always a moderate and reasonable one, as she was the most prudent mother. But as the heart of the son re-echoed to this love, he permitted himself to be wounded by the loving desires of his mother. And the words of the canticle were literally fulfilled, that the eyes of his beloved spouse and mother drew him down to the earth. Canticle 4.4 4. 45. This happened many times, as will be said later on, and it took place the first time during the few days which passed between her descent from heaven and the coming of the Holy Ghost, not more than six days after. She again began to converse with the apostles. Christ, our Savior, would not permit himself a longer delay than these few days before he again descended personally to visit and fill her with the new gifts and ineffable consolation. The purest dove was fainting with love, and with those pangs which she says cause well-ordered charity in the wine cellar of the king. Canticle 2.4 The Lord then, coming to her, permitted her to recline upon his breast in the left arm of his humanity, 
and with the right arm of his divinity, he illumined her and enriched her, filled her anew with vivifying and strengthening influences. Then again requited the loving anxieties of this wounded deer, now drinking to her satisfaction from the fountain of the Savior. She was refreshed and strengthened anew in order that she might be inflamed, still more by the fires of her inextinguishable love. She was made whole by being so much the more deeply wounded. She was healed by a new sickness and vivified by delivering herself over so much the more completely to the agonies of her affection. For this kind of sickness neither knows nor admits of any other kind of remedy. When the sweetest mother by these favors had regained strength, and when the presence of the Savior was revealed to her senses, she prostrated herself before his royal majesty in order to ask him humbly for his blessing and to give him most fervent thanks for the favor of his visit. 46. The most prudent lady was surprised at this favor, not only because it was such a short time since she was deprived of her divine son, but also because the Lord had not informed her of the time of his visit, nor had her most profound humility permitted her to expect such a divine condescension in affording her relief. As this was the first favor of this kind, she was so much the more abashed and annihilated in her own mind. She spent five hours with the Word, enjoying His presence, and none of the apostles at that time knew of the favor. Although they knew from what they noticed in the countenance and in the bearing of their Blessed Lady that something wonderful was transpiring. None of them, however, on account of their timidity and reverence, presumed to inquire further into the cause. In order to take leave of her divine son, when she became aware that he wished to return to heaven, she prostrated herself again on the ground, asking him for his blessing and for his guidance in correcting any deficiency in her behavior for the time when he should return to visit her in the future. She asked this favor because the Lord himself had offered to visit her sometimes in her loneliness. Moreover, often before his ascension, she had prostrated herself at his feet in acknowledgment of her unworthiness and of her want of fervor, thanking him for his favors, as I have narrated in the first part. Although she could accuse herself of no fault, because, as the mother of holiness, she never committed any, and although she could not, as the mother of wisdom, commit any fault, yet the Lord permitted full sway to help her humility and love in the worthy acknowledgment of her debt to God as a mere creature. In her most exalted knowledge and humility, all that she did seemed small in recompense for the supernatural blessings. This inequality she attributed to herself. And although this could not be called a fault, she wished to acknowledge the inferiority of earthly things in comparison with divine excellence. 47. But among the ineffable mysteries and favors which she received since the day of the ascension of her divine Son, our Savior, were those connected with the worthy preparation of the apostles and disciples for the advent of the Holy Ghost. The great queen well knew how estimable and divine was to be the blessing which was held in store for them by the Father of Lights. She considered also the fleshly affection of the apostles for the humanity of their master Jesus. For the purpose of this correcting this defect and perfecting them in all things, as a tender mother and powerful queen, she, on arriving in heaven with her divine son, sent some of her angels to the cynical as, as her messengers in order to intimate to the faithful her own and her son's will, that they should raise themselves 
above themselves and henceforth live more by faith and love of God than in the operations of their sensual nature, that they should not be borne along solely by the sight of God's humanity, but that they let it serve them as a portal and a path to the divinity, where they would find adequate satisfaction and repose. Such advice and exhortation the heavenly queen ordered the angel to give to the apostles. Afterwards, when she again descended from on high, she consoled them in their sorrow and soothed them in their dismay, speaking to them for one hour every day and explaining to them the mysteries of the faith taught her by the divine son. She did this, however, not by any formal instruction, but in the manner of a conference, exhorting them also to spend another hour during the day in discussing among themselves the admonitions, promises, doctrine, and teachings of their divine master, Jesus, and to occupy themselves during some other part of the day in reciting vocally the Our Father and some psalms, while the rest of the time they were to spend in mental prayer. Towards evening they were to partake of bread and fish and then indulge in moderate sleep. Through these prayers and fasts they were to dispose themselves for the advent and reception of the Holy Ghost. This concludes our reading today for day number 283. We've been reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 4, Paragraphs 39 to 47. As we continue to make our way through this volume, we're going to encounter things that are not in the scriptures. And Maria Vargada addresses that today at the very beginning of the reading. I again remind those who shall read this history not to be astonished at the hidden sacraments recorded of the Most Blessed Mary, nor to hold them unworthy of belief, because they have not been until now revealed to the world. So some of these things we hear today, again, Mary going to heaven after the ascension and being with Jesus for a little bit before returning to earth. Well, that's something we never heard of before, except in this reading in the last several days. But yet it's not impossible, and it is something that we can, in fact, believe. I always love the image of Mary being among the apostles. She is the queen of apostles. I also love imagining her praying with the apostles. We hear that today. With them, she offered tearful prayers to her divine son, including them and all who in future ages were to receive the grace of the holy Catholic faith. Praying with the apostles, praying for the apostles. And in that, we also realize she was praying for us as we now believe in this Catholic faith. There's also something tender, I think, about this idea that Jesus visits Mary. So this apparition, just as we had apparitions of Jesus throughout the world, he's appearing to his mother, just as she will appear to others throughout history. And then we must remember that our reading today is situated in the novena to the Holy Ghost as they are waiting for the descent of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised on Pentecost. So we're still in the 10 days, the nine days after the ascension of Jesus. And sometimes when we have a novena in a very public way, there might be preaching, there might be exhortations, the community gathers in prayer, and that's what the apostles are doing as they're in the upper room. And there, our lady is there, and we heard she's giving them instruction. 
Oh, what it would have been like to be a student in that room, listening to Mary communicate about the mysteries of the faith taught to her by her divine son. And then it's kind of like a retreat for the apostles. They spend an hour discussing amongst themselves, and then they make time for personal prayer. She tells them to pray the Our Father and the Psalms, and then to have mental prayer. Just as we take time for our personal prayer, lest we never forget that the apostles in the early church prayed as well, and that Mary prayed with them, and Mary instructed them. Really, Mary prays with us, and Mary communicates the divine mysteries to us each and every time we pray the rosary, reflecting on the life of Jesus. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.